Thanks for joining us at West Tonka and Bush Lake online and all of you who are gathered here. It's so good to be together. And all of us love music, right? And isn't it great to be able to sing in the midst of everything that goes on, there's a release for us. And I, for one, am so grateful for our worship team that leads us in song every week at West Tonka and Bush Lake, even online joining here. Could we just give praise to God for the gifts that are offering up hearts full of worship? Music is important in all of our lives, and in fact, um, music tends to communicate the times, the cultural moments. So let me give you a pop quiz just to jump this thing off a little bit. What artist recently surpassed over one billion streams, one billion streams, and is kind of the talk of the NFL right now? Okay, good, all right. You got it, Taylor Swift. And the song that surpassed, which by the way is her fourth one to do so, was Antihero. And many of you are thinking, Joel, you're a Swifty? <laughs> I'm not, but um, a couple kids who are, and uh, a friend who said, you need to watch this video, Antihero. So I did. I commend it to you. It's worth watching. It is honest self-deprecating. It's really quite astonishing a person of that size and scope of stardom would be so vulnerable as she opens up her life. And she deals with this hit song and other songs that is being derived from a place of deep insecurities and nightmares about her own self-hatred. She has a line in there in her song that says, am I even a person? because her life is just a bit larger than life, as you could imagine. Am I even a person? And then she has this other line that I think is the crux to the whole track. I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in a mirror. And it's a message to her fans, who tend to be starstruck, putting pressure, expecting more and more of pop stars today, always looking up that way, but never looking into the mirror. And her message to us, the fans, is to look in the mirror. Find your sense of self-worth, love yourself, and not look to heroes to be the standard by which you would define your identity. I call that a good message, wouldn't you? Yeah, you can say yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then last Saturday night I mentioned, I was at the Lauren Daigle concert, which is called Kaleidoscope. She loved them as a child, but you know, kaleidoscopes are filled with shards of glass, the beauty of the light. You know, she's a Christ follower. She brings the beauty that hits our own brokenness, beautiful expression that she has. But in the middle of the concert, she paused for a moment, grabbed the microphone, and she said, I go to counseling. And some of you are surprised. I go to counseling. You look at my life and think, it's all success. I live my life with struggle, and I go to counseling. She was validating it's okay to see a counselor. And that message needs to be heard today. And then she went on to say that I go to a counselor, in one of her sessions, the counselor challenged her with a statement. And the statement went like this. What question do you base your life interactions off of? What questions do you base your life interactions? It disturbed her. She wrestled through it. She said, I was in the car and it came to me and I just broke down and started to cry. And the question that I base my life interactions on are, am I valuable? And that song, top 10 
uh, for her in the song charts is called valuable. And the longing to be valued is something all of us want. We want to be valued. And so we open up a new series today, Longing for Better Days. And the subtitle is simply a series on mental well-being, faith, and flourishing. And I'm so excited about this series. It carries the word longing for better days because longing means to have a strong feeling for or to desire someone or something to happen. And better meaning to improve upon what this day is. We're longing for better days and sometimes our emotional well-being and our mental health can come and get in the way. Yes? You can say yes. I'm looking for a little interaction with all my friends today, wherever you might be. There are some churches where I go to, by the way, and speak, and they just do it like breathing. We just need, it happens in our heart. We just want to bring it out of you a little bit more today. Be with me on this, okay? Longing for better days. Well, today, um, we're going to deal with just an introduction to the series. So I'm going to deal with some definitions. Um, I'm going to Um, tell you the direction we're going to go over the next six weeks, and I'm going to share some discerning thoughts related to Scripture that I think really help us to move toward what is our goal, and that is our goal is to instill some calm in our homes, to restore flourishing in our lives by coming into a place of deeper understanding of what mental health truly is, but as well to give you some transformative truths that really come alongside and make a difference. So we'll do that over the course of the week with a lot of great resources that will be there for you as well. I want to add one more thing we want to do. And is we want to cre- reclaim the voice of God for the church of Jesus Christ to be a healing church. Because we have not always been that. In our history as a church, we have not always advocated for the better days with better mental well-being or emotional well-being. And we pray that we'll join churches all around this country to be a healing church. My message today, when you leave, though, I want to keep it really simple. When you go out these doors, I simply want you to feel, to know that God cares, and we care too. And we come alongside of you with that hope as the church to be that healing voice of the Lord together in community and with his presence. In fact, our 2023, we choose a theme word and and a verse for the year. Um, The word has been confidence. The verse has been Hebrews 4.16, and it really speaks to longing for better days. I thought, why don't you join me in this, would you? And let's together recite with confidence these words. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And there are a lot of needs and God cares, and we get to come. Get this, we get to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So we invite you to do that in the series, and we look for God's healing touch upon us. Let's just talk a little bit about the direction, what we're covering over the next six weeks, if we may. Um, Today is what is mental health, gonna give you at least a working definition to start with. Next week, we'll look at don't go it alone, Actually, we're paying attention over the last several months with our whole team around what's happening in the advanced research on neuroscience and the mind and how it intersects with relationships and how the two combined bring a powerful force of healing. I am so excited for next week's message. I want to do it today, but I got to do today before next week, so come back next week. And then 
The next week, calm my anxious mind. And this gets into those practical transformative truths that you can just do in your home that really make a difference with God's help and some disciplines in your journey. Then the next week, we'll talk about the parent equation. And that actually was an addition to the series after we met in June with eight educators and therapists and had a roundtable discussion on what they're seeing with kids. And what they're seeing with kids is directly related to what's happening with parents. And parents are struggling finding how do we come alongside in this culture to raise our kids. And so we've got a guest who's going to come and help us with that day. It's going to be a really informative and helpful day. Then the 5th of November, my only friend is darkness. We're going to deal with those darkest places that we can land sometimes and even address the issue of suicide and wrap up the series with tapping into confidence. So it sounds like a weighty series, but can I tell you, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we'll bring the joy of the Lord in our learning and teaching together, and you will find it to be uplifting and helpful, and you're going to be spreading the news to your own sphere of influence as well. It'll make a difference. All right, so I'm still introducing. You hanging in there with me? Can we do one working definition? Really hard to define this thing called mental health. There's a lot of definitions out there. We'll unfold some of them in the weeks to come, but this one I think is a good landing point. And it surprises me, but it comes from the World Health Organization, and it's really good. It says, mental health is a state of mental well-being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, to realize their abilities, to learn well and work well, and to contribute to their community. It is an integral component of health and well-being that underpins our individual and collective abilities to make decisions, to build relationships, and shape the world we live in. Now, that's a holistic definition. Because we tend to think of mental health as mental illness. And I'm grateful for the, the, the medical care and sometimes the great counselors that come along those with the deepest of issues. But when we're dealing with mental health, it's a level playing field. It's going to happen to everybody. It's not if, it's when it's going to happen in our journey. Because we all live with a general um, undercurrent of insecurity. And for most of you, and I pray today it is this for you, it is but like a trickling stream. And that's terrific. But sometimes it's like an earthquake and it's disturbed your life, and it's a disturbance that really um, causes you to have to recalibrate everything in your life, in your journey. So I want to speak a little bit around the fact that there's a threshold when we're talking about mental health, that we speak about it as a heightened sense of concern and a diminished sense of control, that the more concern you have and the less control you feel, the greater probably the depression, the anxiety, the mental health ailment that you might be going through. We want to see that gap closed by bringing in those transformative truths and principles into our journey. It's just not static. That you can have a great day, and the next day, the wheels come off. And sometimes it's because of a decision that you make, and sometimes it's because of a hard circumstance in your life, and sometimes it's because of difficult people in your life. I know that's hard to believe. Does anybody have at least one difficult person in your life? Just raise your hand. And it, it, I'm not, don't nudge a person next to you, just raise your hand. Say, <laughs> difficult people can be part of that journey along the way, even though PTSD and OCD and schizophrenia and eating disorders are part of that threshold, but it's a span that goes to the whole. And so we speak to the reality then of are we in a mental health crisis? We can say that before 2020, there was definitely an uptick in our country. And we can say post-2020, with a pandemic, it's been exasperated even greater. But it tends to lean younger with greater weight. Just a few statistics from the National Association of Mental Illness. One out of five adults experience mental illness. 
Um, one out of six, amazing, six to 17-year-olds experience a mental illness disorder. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. It's leaning toward these younger years. And suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 through 14. And we've seen that firsthand. But it goes on to say that high school students um, have a persistent feeling of hopelessness at a rate that used to be 26% is now measured at 44%, the highest ever in the recording. And nearly half of our young people deal with sometimes this hovering sense of sadness and hopelessness. So we have a problem. And we want to get on the solution side of the problem as best we can. But I also have to say, and being a church, and being a pastor of a church, that the church has to own we've been complicit in the problem that we have had decades where we've not known how to step in and deal with these issues, so we didn't. You could call it one of the silent issues of the church up until just really a couple decades ago. It has been called the no casserole illness. And that idea is the church generally does well bringing care and coming alongside of people in need, and we bring a casserole as a word of encouragement to people. But when it comes to mental health, we're out of the ballpark. We don't know what to do. And so we just don't bring the casserole. Now, we need to change that. And it's changing all across the country, and there's good news in that. But secondly, we've also embraced two lies. And fortunately, these lies are being corrected too. We know from John's gospel that the father of all lies is Satan. He was the originator of all lies, but in our brokenness, we've just followed suit. And there's two lies that the church in America has embraced to be perpetuated, and we want to see that change. And the first one is this. Christians shouldn't struggle with mental health. You shouldn't be depressed if you're a Christian. You shouldn't have anxiety struggles when you're a Christian. Anybody of you grew up in a background where that was kind of the notion? If you're a Christ follower, these issues ought not be your issues. And a lot of this confusion and the deception has really followed under denominational lanes. It's really quite fascinating to take a look at it. So you find in one lane, some would say, just go to God. You don't pray enough. You don't pray right. You know, just get into God's word and memorize God's word. All you need is God's word. Well, no doubt God's word is an important part of where we're going, but it was so narrowly focused. Don't go see a counselor. Just go to God. That was one primary lane. There's another primary lane, even in the world today, not just in America, around the deliverance lane. That is, we demonize all these things. And so you have the demon of depression and the demon of anxiety, and it's resulting in a lot of hurt and a lot of fear for people, people fearing that they got demons in their backyard or in their home, and it just, it's caused a lot of trouble, even though deliverance is part of the work of the Lord in our lives. And then there's another main lane, uh, lane around some denominations that say you have a sin and you need to confess your sin and you confess your sin and you'll get on the healing side of your life. These have been the primary lanes and it's fed shame and confusion when it comes to finding help. So friends, I'm gonna say this and I, I really think everything in you is gonna wanna say amen, like out loud <laughs> after I say it. Because <laughs> I just wanna land this principle for us, but... You can love Jesus and still struggle with depression. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we need to put that on the table with new freedom today, and we're doing just that. You can attend church faithfully. You can give generously. You can serve weekly two-year-olds in the two-year-old room and still struggle to overcome trauma because 
Serving in a two-year-old room can really be traumatic in the, the journey, so you need help to, to get there. But when I was in seminary, there was this battle taking place. It wasn't even that long ago. It just shocks me, but between psychology and theology. Psychology was secular. Theology was sacred. We compartmentalized and debate, debated whether, yeah, do you need to go see a counselor? And we left hurting people behind in the middle of that crazy debate because we had compartmentalized what God meant it to be integrated. That is, we are created in the image of God. There is one creator for us. He gave us the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. It's integrated because God created us in the, in the image of wholeness in the journey. We have one creator, God. Can I tell you, he's an emotional God. He is an emotional God. All the emotions we have, he has. So you bring in guilt and sadness. You bring in the reality of our struggles of joy and grief and love and hurt. He hurts too. He doesn't have the clinical manifestations, the same we do, but the emotions we share with him. We're created in his image. And all of these things, friends, got affected in the fall. Our emotions got affected. Our relationships got affected. So there's a tearing apart oftentimes of relationships with people. Um, even our performance has been affected by the fall. Can we achieve this goal? Or why don't I want to achieve this goal? It all gets impacted together. But fortunately, the juxtaposition between counseling and scripture is coming together in a better way. It's happening well in the church and we're getting better with it all the time. So you can go to counseling and it's not just to a counseling room. There are Christian counselors in the last 20 years, a movement of Christian counselors. Some of the best counselors in America really are Christ following. Um, and and it's sort of really great ones that aren't Christ followers as well. I'm just saying Christians entered into the field and it's really made a difference. But so has the church. A lot of the counseling doesn't happen in the counseling room. It happens right here. It happens with friends, people that you know. And to give each other the freedom to bring that kind of care is so important. All grounded in Scripture. When Jesus says, weep with those who weep, this is the mission of God for us in this, this given journey. That we can talk about our lives and our failures and our sin, but we do it knowing that we're to weep with those who weep. Or James 5.16, agree with each other about your faults that you may be healed. Put your faults on the table, let's work them through and get on the solution side to better healing. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, heal the brokenhearted. Help the weak confront the unruly. Those unruly things in our life that cause us to spiral. We need some exhortation and confrontation. We get to do that as the body of Christ. That what, that's what it means to be a healing church. Or Matthew 23, bring what is inside the cup into light. That is, bring darkness and put it into light so you can move forward. Start to put words to your feelings in the journey. You will find healing in that because the power of secret destroys. It just does. Come into the light, Jesus says. So grateful for that. Bring a casserole, in other words. Be in the know enough that you have the wisdom to bring the casserole. That's the invitation that he gives to us. My favorite psychologist who's just grounded in rich biblical theology is Henry Cloud. And I sure would encourage you to go to his website. He's got great things to say um, in that given site that he has. But he's challenging right now the notion that we have a mental health crisis in that, from his perspective, these are longstanding issues. They've been part of every people of every age. And every age has had heightened seasons where it's been crisis-like. We just have put it more into the headlines. And so he comes to the question, what are mental health issues? 
And I like how he approaches it. He says they are mood disorders. That is, we all deal with fluctuations of moods and it can be extreme in that threshold in our life and our journey. And he gives this checklist of journey. Are you feeling down for an extended period of time the things you normally do to get yourself to snap out of it? Is it working any longer? Check. Or are you dealing with low energy levels consistently? Check. Are you struggling with sleep at night and it's become a pattern? Check. Or do you find yourself in a place where there's anxiety that's heightened, that you're just worrying about something more than you used to worry and can't get to manage it on, on that side of it? Check. Or when it comes to your future, does it start to feel more dark than it does hopeful? Check. I just like that he levels the playing field in these extremes of moods that we have in our life. Yeah, people with illnesses need good medical attention and a great psychologist, but we all have mood problems and anxieties, and we all have addictions sometimes that we have to give energy to. And we get into these patterns where we can't snap out of it the way we used to, with the feel-good things that would move us into a new place or whatever, and it starts to hover in our lives. And his call is for the church to be on that front line of healing for each other. Let's be for each other. God is for us and we get to be for God and we get to be for each other, which leads to the second um, lie that we've embraced of the church and that is God doesn't care about your mental health. That he's got other things to do, bigger than your deal, he just doesn't care. I don't know where this notion began to steep in, but we show it in our behavior and some of the distance that we have with God, but in fact, God cares. And so I want you to leave with that primary message today is God cares. And in fact, we want to follow the response of Jesus. Why he even came into the world is because he cares. This, a few verses mixed together from Luke and Isaiah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve, to bestow a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. These are the issues that we deal with today. And they're not in the extreme expressions. Most of the time they're in the everyday, just trying to get through life kind of experience. We have a United in Praise concert that you've been invited into this Wednesday night. It's prayer and worship. It's prayer and worship. It's prayer and worship. Man, at all of our sites, I just encourage you to come to the Chanhassen campus Wednesday evening for what will be a joy-filled, uplifting, meaningful gathering. Bring yourselves, bring a friend, bring your kids. Let's worship and pray and see what God does, even on Wednesday evening, because the God of comfort is the God who meets us in this place. God cares. I've been reading, third reading through in the last two years. I don't, I'm a ferocious reader, but I usually move from one book to the next. This book, I'm in my third reading. And it's by Dane Ortland, and I commend it to you. It's called Gentle and Lowly. The heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. Any sinners in the room? I see you in Bush Lake. Okay, West Anka. Okay, online and everywhere else. Any sufferers in the room? Yeah, a lot of suffering. We have a lot of needs. It's really enriched my journey. And he bases it on a lot of the writings of the Puritans, but particularly on the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, 
and you will find rest when you come. That's what we need. No, God cares. God cares. Over the last few years, I've been in the Psalms nearly every morning. And that's been a new practice for me. I hate to say that. That's something I lost many years ago, but I stepped back into it. It has been so life-giving to open up the Psalms and be in the Psalms in the morning. I usually choose one, just chew on it, live in it, be in it. Now I'm memorizing, because I've been in it so long, these different Psalms. There's one Psalm that has become a favorite for me. It's Psalm 52. It's a short Psalm. The first seven verses, David is in complaint. He's angry, he's depressed, he's being pressed in against. He feels like his whole life is falling apart and he's letting, letting God have it, which is so interesting to read that in scripture. If you question, can you let God have it? Well, you can, just read Psalm 52. He's letting God have it. You can just see, he's uncorked and he's going on and on and all of a sudden it ends at verse seven and there's this pregnant pause and verse eight is like an about face, like what happened to David? And he, he writes these words, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the the house of God. I will trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will sing your praises with your people everywhere. I will hope in your name, for your name is good. There's how it ends. The name of God is good. So we can hope in the name of God, friends. Keep the name of God before you. Help your children keep the name of God before you. It's a life-giving affirmation that he cares, and I'm glad that he does. And there are dozens of names that we have in the scriptures related to the name of God. There's um, Adonai, meaning Lord, or there's Jehovah Ra, which means the Lord is my shepherd, or there's Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord heals. And then this week, I learned about the name of the Lord from a friend here on our team at Westwood. He said, my, one of my favorite names of the Lord was given to the Lord by Hagar. If you remember, Hagar was the servant lady who really had a rough patch. I mean, she served, she was taken advantage of, she was abused, she was in her own dark place, and God comes and brings favor on her life. And in gratitude, she responds by giving the first person in the Bible to give God a name. And the name that she gives to him is El Roy. You are the God who sees me. When you feel unseen by everybody else, there's a God who sees because he's a God who cares. I really resonate that life can feel dark and yet we come to this place that we can go to a God who really speaks to us in powerful ways and I'm so glad that he does. I'm gonna take you to one more psalm in the reading of my psalms. Um, they all have the same rhythm. They're filled with lament and then hope. Lament and then hope, but there are two psalms that have no hope. And one of them is Psalm 88, written by Heman. This guy is a guy that was so wise. He was a worship leader. He was a great parent. He served the king, and he finds himself in a dark place. He feels like he's dead. He just feels like he's dead. And in that place of feeling like he's dead, he, he's in this rough patch. He gives us this psalm. And it's a great, great psalm. But can I tell you, it's a psalm that ends abruptly. It's almost surprising. It ends in pain, and it starts in pain. It starts with these words. Lord, day and night I cry out to you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles. And he goes on and he defines all the troubles. And I say there's a lot of them, including I'm not only forgotten, I just feel like I'm dead. Have you ever felt that dark? You just feel like I don't want to live anymore. And he ends the psalm in pain. You have taken from me, my, um, you have taken from me friend and neighbor, 
Darkness is my closest friend. Wow, that is a powerful statement. That is, his friends are gone. They've abandoned him. He's alone in the dark. He personifies darkness as his friend, as his only companion. And he's, he leaves the psalm in this given place. And this awkward silence, you're reading it, and you go, there needs to be one more sentence that turns the corner for us, but there isn't. And you go, why is this psalm even included in the psaltery? Well, it's because sometimes we have to come to God when it's just dark. And he's giving us permission to do that. We come to God even when it's just dark, when we can't see the healing, and we can't articulate the hope, or we find ourselves in a place when we try to articulate the hope, it only hurts more, so we just pull back even more. And so the psalm, how he goes into God is the, the core here. He's showing us how to enter into the darkness when it's cloudy in our lives. Yeah, his, his life is full of troubles. He's forgotten, can't escape it. And uh, he just feels like he's been forgotten by everybody. And this is what he does. He goes to God and he's telling God what he's going through. And it's so powerful because he's speaking from the pain, in the pain, and through the pain, coming to God, who he questions is even listening and he comes, and he articulates, he puts words, maybe in the soft whisper, because that may be all he had. And, and what he's really saying is, this is, God, this is where I'm at. This is what dark feels like. It's there, because sometimes we come to God when it's dark, and we speak to God, even in soft whispers, what we, we need to say to him. And I really resonate. Um, life can feel dark. And I'll be honest, over the last... Uh, couple of weeks knowing this message was coming, I was kind of in this place deciding, do I want to share something personal with you? And I have resisted it. Um, and this last Thursday with team around me, I kind of processed what I was thinking, and they strongly encouraged me to do it. But I'm just going to tell you, it's hard for me. I grew up in a generation where we didn't put words to our feelings. You keep your pain to yourself, thank you very much. Anybody else grow up with that kind of mindset? And it's not helpful. And I'm grateful for kids, my kids, who can put words to their feelings better than I could at their ages. I'm learning from them and from others that have helped me to do that as well, but it's so important. But I do want to speak a little bit about this because I'm generally this happy guy. I, I think God born me to be a happy guy. Just, my mom said I smiled all the time. I didn't talk much, but I smiled all the time. Now I talk a lot. And I, <laughs> But I'm a happy guy. I see the glass more half full than half empty. That's been my nature and my journey. I'm a love and life kind of guy. In fact, I got the nickname Tigger for some because I, 5 a.m., bounce out of bed, face the day. That's kind of been my pattern. Up until the last eight years where I had two earthquakes um, disrupt my life and some aftershocks related to the family that I'm not going to get into. But just briefly before we go, speak about two earthquakes in the journey. And one was um, a battle with diabetes that came to me after I lost my dear friend and colleague, Jim Anderson. And we'd worked together for 10 years. He was my right-hand guy. You know, you find a rhythm of working for people, and we lost him unexpectedly. And I, I family lost him unexpectedly. I'm just trying to figure out how to recalibrate life and journey and job. I'm just telling you, it was hard. And I went over the top. Worked too many hours, didn't give myself enough rest. My body shut down around diabetes, and I had to give attention to it. My whole endocrine system was off. 
And if you know anything about diabetes, it takes time to get the medicines to work with your personal body type. And I went into a six-month funk of depression that was as deep. I've never experienced it. As a pastor who's come alongside people with depression all of these years, um, I've always wanted to have empathy and care, and I have, but I gained understanding. I'm a better leader today and a better pastor today and a better friend today because I think I understand that darkness. For me, it was six months. For some of you, it's been a lifetime. It was an earthquake for me. And then the cultural convulsion of these last years was just so difficult. All the voices, the unmet expectations, couldn't satisfy anybody, so much agitation in the world today. I'm pretty confident in terms of my understanding of the gospel and how it is to be applied, but boy, there's been a lot of debate and confusion around that, and it hit me hard, hit my wife hard in the journey, and we had to lean into that hard, into it. And by the way, I'm not alone in that. Um, just out of curiosity, at all of our sites where you are, any educators in the room? Raise your hand, good, thank you. Any care providers in the room? hospital, or wherever you might serve, um, any police, fire, or other service on the front line of the service industry. Okay, a few of you are in the room here too. Can we just be kind to say thank you to those who have served? Could you join me in just giving a hand? Thank you to all of you who've been on that service side. We have a shortage of teachers and a shortage of healthcare providers because they got burned out with all the demands that was placed on them. And we have a shortage of pastors in our churches too. It's all worked together. So we went and got counseling. And I gotta wrap this up. Are we okay if we go a couple minutes long? Clint, just say yes. He said yes. <laughs> Give it up for Clint. You know? <laughs> no, I just kidding. But just, I'll, I'll just say a couple things here that Carrie and I did go get some help. And I wanna share just real briefly four things that I did. I went to God, because, I'll put that back on the screen, from Psalm 88, God isn't afraid of the dark. How I rolled out of bed and said my morning prayer, let me be who you want me to be, go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do, wasn't quite Tigger-like, but it was there. I went to God, um, not always as freely or joyfully as I used to, but I did. I encourage you to go to God and embrace his name. I went to a counselor for help, a counselor who was a friend, He's a soul friend. Next week, I'm going to talk about the significance of soul friends, but also professional counselor. And Carrie joined me in that. We went and did a week intensive. Never had done that. I'm telling you, it was like a marriage enrichment time, but it was all around hard stuff. It wasn't about the cultural convulsion, most of all. It was about our marriage. We fell in love all over again. And Lauren Daigle, 30 minutes after a counselor, she writes her best songs. Uh, I got my best <laughs> compass coming out of that session. Head high, heart soft, feet forward. Head high, confidence in Christ. Um, heart soft, humility of spirit, feet forward, strength to advance. I'm so glad for that. It's okay to be a counselor. You see a counselor. Meeting with a counselor is not a sign of weakness, friends. It's a sign of strength. Get the help that you need. Third, I followed the resistance. You gotta name your pain. It's hard work. It's easier to ignore it. You feel it in your chest. You have to define it in your gut so you can get on the solution side of it. And fourth, I moved forward. I wasn't Tigger-like, like I said, but I moved forward. I took some mental health days. I did what I needed there. I was slower in the deal, but hey, I met with my family. I still preached. I still showed up to lead. Wasn't my strongest leading chapter, but I led out of what the strength God gave to me in it. But we, move, we moved, because moving is healing. We'll learn about that. And then I moved forward. And that happens through kindness. The kindness of God, the kindness of friends, and your kindness. And I think I hesitated because I'm not looking for 100 cards of encouragement. I'm really doing well. I've moved forward. Okay, fair enough. But this week, there's somebody in your spheres of influence who could use a word of kindness. Bring it. 
because it can be healing to them. I gotta wrap this up and I don't want to. I wanna have lunch with you, but can't. So I'm just gonna invite you to open your hands, receive this prayer. We'll sing just briefly before we go and have a word and then we'll be out. Father God, thank you that you see our needs and we have a lot of them, that you care and that we can come and approach your throne of grace and receive mercy to help us in our time of need. Might we do that for each other? Might we as a church become your healing church, we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen.